morning, Mount Pleasant campus. It is good to be with you this morning. Good morning to those of you who are gathered in Alma, and also for those of you who are watching online and gathering with us there. Uh, we are excited that you are here for this Promise series that we're walking through. Well, it seems like uh, you can't turn on the news or go online and not see something uh, that we as the people of God should be praying for. Um, and over these last couple weeks, uh, I know myself and the rest of the pastoral staff has just been feeling a burden to pray for what's happening right now in the Middle East, uh, to pray what's, hap- for what's happening in Israel. And uh, so right now, if, if you'd bow your heads, let's take a moment just to, to lift up that situation. So Father, um, God, where there doesn't seem to be an easy solution, God, we know that you are a solution maker. God, we know that you are able. So Father, we pray for this ceasefire uh, that is in place. God, we pray that wouldn't be temporary. God, we ask that that would be permanent. God, we pray for those who have been impacted by the violence on either side. God, we pray for those who are mourning. God, as a people of God, we, we mourn with those who mourn. We grieve with those who grieve. Father, we pray that you would work for shalom. God, that you would bring peace. You'd make things the way that they're meant to be. You'd bring an end to the violence, Father, and, and out of this tragic circumstance, Father, that you would work something for good. Because we trust that you are able. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever walked through a circumstance, maybe come alongside someone, and you just could not find the right words to say. In fact, there probably aren't perfect words to say. Have you ever walked into an impossible situation, maybe personally or in your family, and just said, you know, where nothing seems to, to bring comfort or relief. I remember early in my ministry, standing outside of a hospital room, a tragic event inside, just pausing and saying, God, I don't have the words. God, you, would you give me the words to speak in this situation? Have you ever been in that place before? Our promise today is a promise from Scripture that often comforts when little else can. One theologian refers to the promise we're going to look at as a soft pillow for a tired heart. If you've been with us during this promise series, we are covering some of the most beautiful promises from the Word of God. These are God's promise for you. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Romans chapter 8. Or if you have your smartphone, you can get out the Bible app and look there. I don't know what your philosophy is on writing in your Bibles. Uh, I'm a fan. Uh, and these promises that we're working through, these are ones that are worth underlining, they're worth, they're worth highlighting. Uh, these are promises that are worth memorizing. We're looking at Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Another translation says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is God's promise for you, that if you love God, if you are a follower of Christ, God promises to work all the circumstances of your life for good. It's not hard to understand why this is such a famous passage. This is a passage that can bring comfort. 
When you put your head on your pillow and you can't find sleep, this can help you go to sleep at night, even when your life is falling apart. I was looking up online this last week, and this verse actually ranks number three on the most Googled verses over the last year. It's one of the most popular promises from Scripture. And it makes sense. Because life can sometimes feel a little bit chaotic. Sometimes it can feel random. There are periods of time when we can experience situations or circumstances and it can just feel like it's too much. You might be asking, why am I going through this? How could a loving God allow this to happen? God, haven't I been doing all the things that you want me to do? Why is this happening to me? Maybe you've experienced a period of time where you were intentionally following God. You're experiencing his goodness in a fresh way. You're hearing from him, you're growing, and then bam, everything seems to fall apart. It doesn't seem fair. Maybe it was an illness, a diagnosis that turned into hospital visits. Uh, trying to feel normal, trying to go through the motions when inside and outside everything seems to be falling apart. And it makes you ask, does God actually promise to make all things good? Because nothing really seems good in my life right now. For you, maybe it was a death, the loss of someone close to you. It just doesn't seem natural or fair. The the circumstance itself is terrible. And you look at this promise and say, I don't feel that right now. I think many of us are carrying the wounds of this past year. Maybe you faced isolation, loneliness, fear, fighting. The way that we talk to each other, even within the church, is not always good. The death, some of us have lost loved ones. How can God make something good out of 2020? We all likely have experiences that would make us question this promise. And the enemy, Satan, wants nothing more than to take those circumstances in your life to make you bitter, to keep you in your hurt, in your pain, to drive you away from God. Friends, my hope as we unpack this is that whatever your circumstance, that you would walk away with confidence that we serve a caring, loving God. Romans 8, 28 has sometimes been misinterpreted. And we can think sometimes that it means that God makes all things good or that only good things will happen to me if I love God. And I just want to begin with a distinction before we dive in that it's important to note that not all things are good. In fact, to say all things were good would be a gross misinterpretation of what Paul was trying to say here. You think of the death of a child. It's heartbreaking. You think of sickness, cancer, suicide, not good. War is evil, pandemics, the evils of sex trafficking in our world. These things are not good. So what is Paul saying here? What is the word of God saying to us? Let's unpack this promise. First, this is God's promise for you, 
This is God's promise for his people, for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Uh, You know, it's interesting, there is no qualifier here, such as if you do this, then God promises to make it good. If you are going through the motions and you're being a good Christian, then he'll make it good. That's not what it says. God's promise for your good is certain. It's an absolute certainty. And we know it's definite language. There's a translator who uh, translated the New Testament and said it should be translated this way, and we know with absolute knowledge. This is a promise that we know is certain. And you may look at that and say, well, can't we say all things from Scripture are certain? Not necessarily. There are plenty of things that we can see in God's word that we don't know. In verse 26, right before this, Paul says, there are times when we don't know how to pray. Starting in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We may not know how to pray, but the Spirit of God knows. The Bible says that we don't know when Jesus will return. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says no one knows except God the Father. If you see someone who says, I know when Jesus is coming back, Jesus says they don't know when that's going to happen. The Bible says we don't know why certain things happen to us. In the Old Testament, There was an individual by the name of Job, and Job, his entire book is written about him. He experienced incredible loss, the loss of his family, the loss of his fortune, the loss of his health, and throughout most of the book of Job, his friends are sitting around him, and they're trying to rationalize, to explain why he's suffering, and then God shows up, and God rhetorically asks Job 49 questions about the universe. To which Job, had he been given the opportunity, could have only responded, I don't know. The point of God's questioning in the book of Job is to demonstrate the fact that there are certain things that we do not know as human beings. This is especially true when it comes to the issue of suffering. In fact, Christian theologians and philosophers have wrestled for centuries with the problem of suffering, and no one yet has come up with a simple and complete solution for why. There are things that we just don't know. But there are things that we do know. Don't abandon things that you do know just because of what you don't know. And we know that in all things, God works together for good. So what's included in that in our life? Are there only certain aspects that God can make good? No, all things includes everything, every circumstance, every situation you've worked through. Even the suffering in the present world world is under the authority of God. We look at the preceding verses. It says, we groan within ourselves as we suffer, as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Behind the all things, in every circumstance of your life, there is a personal God who is walking alongside you. 
And God promises to work all things together for good. It's interesting looking at the language that's used here. It's an active voice. It's not saying that he's going to do it in the future. It's saying in the present tense. It's this ongoing activity in our lives. When we walk through suffering, when we walk through pain, God is working on our behalf for good. It's not a statement of fate. It's a statement of faith. It's echoed throughout the Bible in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from people and they're asking, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know where he's calling me. And right here is the formula. Trust God. Submit to him. Love him. And he will guide your path. That's easy when the path that you're on is one that you want to be on. But what about when you're not sure about the path that you're on? What about when your path seems unfair? Or or maybe you wonder if you got off the path because certainly this isn't the path that God sets you on. What about when your path is painful? This promise is even more important. God will take the circumstances of your life and he will work that path for ultimate good. I imagine many of us are familiar with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that there are times when we'll experience such significant trauma in our lives that it leaves us wounded in a way that takes time to heal. But there are probably many of us who have not heard of PTG, post-traumatic growth. And PTG in the field of psychology is defined as a positive psychological change experienced as a result of adversity and other challenges in order to rise to a higher level of functioning. And so PTG says that there are times when we'll experience trauma and it will create a shift in thinking due to that traumatic event that actually leaves us in a healthier place mentally. Seven to eight percent of the population will experience PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder at some point in their lives. But get this, a larger percentage, two-thirds, 66% of people will experience PTG. And so what is that telling us? That adversity can be good. This is from the, the world of psychology. Challenges can be good for us. In fact, sometimes you cannot grow unless you experience some kind of opposition or adversity. Maybe you can think of someone in your life that you go to as a source of wisdom or discernment, someone who you look up to, they're incredibly mature, and you look at their life and say, okay, I see how they got there through the circumstances that they've walked to. They've learned from what they've experienced and what they've overcome. And you add to that from the psychological world the promise of this verse, Romans 8.28, that there is a personal God walking alongside us, working all things together for our good. It's a place of incredible confidence for us as Christians. He's working on your behalf. Maybe it's not the way that you thought he was going to. Maybe it's not even the way that you wish he was. But God's promise to work all things in your life for good is absolutely certain. Let's keep going. God's promise for your good is also complete. He will complete his purpose. He will see it through to completion. 
But how do you reconcile that when you are working through an experience of a crisis? Maybe in your life you've experienced a terrible circumstance. Maybe it's not one. It's been terrible circumstance after terrible circumstance after terrible circumstance. You said, how on earth could God work this together for good in my life? My wife is an incredible cook. And fortunately, in our house, she cooks most of the meals because dad only knows how to cook two or three different meals. And if dad's cooking, it's probably spaghetti. That is my go-to meal uh, at the dinner table. But every time I make spaghetti, I bring it out to the table uh, and I sit down and I pitifully take all the compliments I can get from the kids as they say, Dad, how did you make this spaghetti so good? And I'll tell you my secret. I use a ridiculous amount of salt in my cooking, way more than my wife would ever knowingly put into a dish. Now, salt is incredibly good for the body in certain quantities. Uh, It has nutrients that the body needs, but salt Table salt, N-A-C-L, is made up of two elements, sodium and chloride. And interestingly, if you took sodium or chloride by themselves, they are individually harmful. In fact, sodium or chloride is poisonous. It can kill us. But when you bring those together and you make table salt, it makes dad's spaghetti delicious, which is what we really care about. It provides an essential nutrient for our bodies. Separately, these things can kill us. They're harmful. Together, they're good. God can take things that are in and of themselves evil in your life. He takes them. He mixes them. And he produces something helpful. He can make all things work together. Like Only God can do this. You may be looking at the circumstances of your life and be thinking, surely God must be against me. Maybe you've faced opposition and you just seem to hit a wall. But where you see a wall, God sees an opportunity. You know, isn't that an amazing promise? God sees a way to make something work for ultimate good in your life. You know, I think of the, the Apostle Paul who wrote these Verses inspired by the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. And Paul wasn't writing this, oh, God's going to make all things good from his palatial estate surrounded by comfort, sitting on a, on a pillow. If you look at the life of Paul, Paul was rejected by his people. He was persecuted. He was beaten a couple times within an inch of his life. He was imprisoned. In fact, most of the New Testament that he had a part in writing, he did so from chains. He wasn't someone who was on easy street with a cushy life and a cushy job writing these words. Paul, who by the world's account, people would look at the circumstances of his life and say he has no reason to be writing these words that God works all things together for good. Paul chooses to praise God even in his suffering, trusting that God has a better plan than he would lay out for himself. Do you have the same response as Paul? When you suffer, when your world is crumbling around you, is your choice to say, God, I'm going to choose to praise you and worship you right now and trust that you are working on my behalf? Pastor Wally, a few months ago, 
in a message, shared a story of a missionary named Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott is a pretty famous missionary from the mid part of the last century. In the 1950s, he felt a calling from God to go and serve in Ecuador as a missionary to a tribe that had, until that point, been pretty much cut off from modern-day society. And so he trained, he got equipped, he got a team together. They flew to this this, uh, tribe that was isolated in Ecuador. And as they came out, this tribe who was confused by these intruders that were coming in, they brutally murdered Jim Elliott and his entire team. You look at that and you'd say... Did he misunderstand what God was trying to do? Maybe they got it wrong. Like you'd look at that by the world standards and say it was a failure. But the reason that this story is so powerful is because Jim's wife felt that same calling from God and two years later moved her and their young daughter to go live amongst these tribes people. And consequently, the entire tribe came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I was thinking of that story that Wally shared in the context of Romans 8, 28. And I imagine Jim Elliott sitting in heaven, his wife who passed many years later being with him, other members of this tribe who were part of his murder, and looking back and say, even though the circumstance was terrible, it may not have been what Jim would have chosen or what he had picked, it was for ultimate good. Eternities were changed for generations because and out of this shocking tragedy. And so what takes your eyes off your circumstances and allows you to see the good that God wants to do? The difference is a matter of an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective that sees the long game versus just focusing on our present circumstance. The promise of Romans 8.28, in fact, doesn't always make sense unless you're looking at it from this long approach of God's work throughout time. And so do you trust God enough with the long game? God's promise for you is complete. Finally, looking at Romans 8.28, God's promise for your good makes you more like Jesus. The promise is that God works for your good. Again, not to misinterpret, it doesn't say that God promises to work for your comfort. God doesn't promise to take your circumstance and make your life easier. It's not a promise for your prosperity. You may be facing a tough situation and you may ask this question of saying, God, why do I have to walk through this? It doesn't seem fair. The truth is, friends, I I don't know. But God has promised that he is always working towards an ultimate good in your life. And part of that good involves you being transformed to be more like Jesus. In the verse right after Romans 8.28, verse 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so what does this promise state? That even when the circumstances of your life aren't good, God will make them work together for good. And the result in your life is that you will look and think and act more like Jesus. And so what is the good? Part of the good that God wants to do in your life is conforming you into the image of his son. You may be experiencing a crisis in your life right now. 
And I think when we experience crisis, the proper posture, the right action to take as the people of God is to get on our knees and to seek God out, to pray to him, and know that sometimes God calms the storm. But sometimes he calms us in the storm. There's a famous Christian author by the name of Joni Erickson Tata, who over the last number of years has been a well-sought-out Christian speaker, but also an advocate for supporting those who live with disabilities. And Joni, in 1967, at the age of 17, jumped into the Chesapeake Bay, misjudged the depth of the water, and the injury that she sustained left her a paraplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. In her autobiography, she states that she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and doubts about her faith in the years that immediately followed. Praise God, her story didn't stop there. However, in the years since, she has written over 40 books. She's recorded several musical albums. She starred in an autobiographical movie of her life. She has been a well-known advocate for those who live with disabilities. It was in a message that she gave. In the context of Romans 8.28, she was asked, how could a loving God allow you to experience this incredible suffering in your life? And this was her quote. She says, God sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. For who he foreknew, that was you, He predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So why is this happening to me? I don't know. But through the the process, I know that God promises that he will use it to make you more like Jesus. There's a famous illustration that I've seen on motivational posters, which is a good way to get motivational statements. But it talked about a $5 bar of steel. If you take that $5 bar, bar of steel and you make it into horseshoes, its value increases to $12. If you take that same $5 bar of steel and you make it into hypodermic needles, its worth increases to $3,500. If you take that same $5 bar of steel and you make it into tiny little balance springs for expensive luxury watches, its worth increases to $300,000. So what makes that bar of steel worth so much money? Heat, breaking, beating, molding, a stressful process. When you experience challenges in your life, know that God is with you. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you. He is for you, and he will complete his work for good in your life. As I was studying for this message, I was reminded that there are so many examples of this promise from Romans 8.28 throughout the scriptures. And I want to leave you with two examples so you're ready to go on from here today. In the book of Genesis, there was a man named Joseph. And Joseph, if you're not familiar with his story, he had some terrible circumstances in his life. If you think that you have sibling issues... Joseph has you beat because his brothers, who were jealous of the fact that he was a favorite with his parents, they sold him into slavery. So Joseph 
as a slave. He is falsely accused of rape. He's put in prison. By all accounts, every circumstance in his life seems to be terrible. But God uses his circumstance to allow him to be put into a position where Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream and Joseph is able to step in and interpret. And as a result, the entire nation is saved from this terrible drought. The story continues. His brothers are impacted from their homeland where this drought has happened, so they come to Egypt to try to get some aid. And who do they find? Second in command, giving out the aid. Joseph. The brother that they had sold into slavery. And they're petrified, right? They're like, surely he's going to get his vengeance. There's no better circumstance for him to be able to act out uh, and get his revenge. But Joseph says in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done. The saving of many lives. If Joseph hadn't been a slave, he would not have been in a place to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which would have not have elevated him to the second most powerful position in all of Egypt. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. That's Romans 8.28 in the book of Genesis. But the greatest example in all of the Bible of Romans 8.28 was the life of Jesus. Jesus is born in pretty humble circumstances. He begins his life as a refugee. Throughout most of his, his ministry years, he's often misunderstood. He faces persecution. There are those who call from his, for his death from an early age. He's betrayed by a close friend. He faces a sham of a trial he is beaten, he's scourged, he's crucified, this completely innocent man. It's the most shocking injustice in history. There is nothing worse. Yet for you and me, it's the best thing that ever happened. Jesus laid aside his immunity to pain, and he stepped down from heaven into our world, and Jesus suffered, and he died. And God worked it for good, for our good, for your good. This is what allows us to call Good Friday good. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 8.28. We can't always know the will of God, but we can choose to trust him. I don't think it's any coincidence that in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples and those that were listening how to pray. And he's teaching this Jewish audience how to speak to Yahweh, which would have been this kind of unfathomable thing for them. And at the heart of the Lord's prayer is this simple phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I trust you. There was once a father and a son who were working together to put together a puzzle. And the son got a head start, and so he starts getting the pieces out, and he's trying to figure it out, and try as he may, he just could not get it together. And so he's getting frustrated, he's getting angry, he's about to give up on the whole thing. So the father comes along, sees the pieces, 
And it seems like in no time at all, he gets them all together into this beautiful masterpiece. And the son says, Dad, how on earth did you put that together so fast? And the father said, I looked at the box. I saw the picture on the front. I knew the complete picture the entire time. You may be holding on to the pieces of your life and not know how they go together. In fact, you might be holding a piece right now and saying, I have no idea how this fits. It's possible that I can't give you an answer on how it fits. But God knows. He knows your future. His promise is certain that you know a caring God who's willing to step into your hurt and your brokenness. He promises that he can take it and he can make something beautiful. Are you okay with trusting God to promise to work all things together for good in your life? Let's pray together. Father, would you teach us to trust you more? God, would you teach us to hold to this promise? God, to say that even when we don't see it or feel it, we know that you are working on our behalf. God, I pray for those who are hearing this message right now and are maybe feeling like their lives are in pieces, are in shambles, or they're struggling to see the good. God, I pray your spirit would right now even minister to them, God, and, and show them uh, ways that you are working around them, Father, that you would give us new measures of trust to cling on to this promise from your word. Father, we as your people want nothing apart from what it is that you want to do in us and through us. And God, we're so thankful for the fact that you are not done with us. You are constantly working on our behalf. And God, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.